call your congressperson. That's pretty common advice in these days of controversial bills percolating in the nation's capital. But the advice begs a question. Who the heck is your congressperson? In the Philadelphia region, it can be hard to tell what districts you live in. Pennsylvania's congressional map, called by some the worst gerrymander in the nation, carves up our region in a pretty wacky way. I'm Barbara Dundon for the 20 by 70 podcast, and I'm about to set out to two iconic suburban locales, the Wegmans in King of Prussia and the Trader Joe's in Ardmore. I'm going to see if I can find anyone who knows their congressional district. Here we go. Can I interrupt with a quick question real fast? Oh, thank you. You're the first person to say yes. I appreciate that. I'm interested. Well, well, I'm with the Committee of 70, and they're interested in knowing if people know what congressional district they're in. Do you happen to know? I have not a clue. How about you? Nope. Okay. Do you happen to know what your congressional district is? No. No, I don't. Okay. I do not. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, I wandered for hours around the 7th Congressional District and the 6th and the 13th, and I couldn't find a single person who could describe any of them to me. And you know what? I just can't do this by myself. I think it's time to turn this over to a man who's a little better grounded in the mysteries of Pennsylvania gerrymandering, our host on 20 by 70, Chris Satulo. Take it away, Chris. Hey, thanks, Barbara. And don't feel bad. When you have a congressional district like the 7th, which has been described as Donald Duck kicking Goofy, or was it the other way around? Anyway, a district whose design looks like it involved an Etch-A-Sketch and some LSD, it can be hard to keep your bearings. This is 20 by 7, the podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia, and from Harrisburg, for that matter. So we dispatch Barbara to the King of Prussia's Wegmans, because it's part of a narrow sliver of 7th District territory that's wedged between the 6th and the 13th Congressional Districts. This slender thread, which Jordan Spieth could smash a golf ball clean across, is all that connects Goofy's head to the rest of his body, which then sprawls west to Chester County and the Delaware state line. Or was that Donald's neck? Hard to tell, huh? Never mind. The 7th, which in saner times consisted pretty much of just suburban Delaware County, now reaches up north to Skipack in northern Montgomery County and west almost to Lancaster in Amish territory. And you know that Trader Joe's that we had Barbara visit in Ardmore? It isn't even in the 7th anymore, though many of its customers still are. So this is Pennsylvania, and this is Pennsylvania politics on the political drug they call gerrymandering. 
Gerrymandering is the practice of drawing political districts for partisan advantage so that your team gets more seats in the legislature than its share of the votes would ever merit. Today, we're going to talk to a young woman who's done more than any other Pennsylvanian to combat the scourge of gerrymandering, which many experts indict as at least a partial cause of the gridlock and the hyperpartisanship in Harrisburg and in Washington, D.C., Then we'll talk to one of the attorneys who just filed a lawsuit that aims to undo the 2011 congressional gerrymander in Pennsylvania and to create a precedent that would make this partisan mischief harder to pull off in the future. First, though, let's talk with Amanda Holt, who was the surprising driving force behind a 2011 lawsuit that challenged the state's then-new political map. Amanda Holt, welcome to 20 by 70. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, Amanda, tell us uh, what got you interested in the arcane topic of how politicians draw maps. Well, it started out back in 2010, and we were getting ready to vote in the general election. And um, my friends and I were looking at who we were going to be voting for. And it just seemed pretty crazy that two of us who even lived in the same township wouldn't be voting for the same representative. So, so that's, a, that's a township right outside of Allentown? What's the name of the yeah, township? Yeah, in Upper Mackenzie Township. Okay. So it just seemed pretty strange and got me wondering why a district or districts would be drawn that way that, you know, two of us from the same township wouldn't be voting for the same person. So it started me off on my journey to figure out why that would be, which led me to start reading our state constitution about how these districts are actually supposed to be drawn. And what I found was that it was the opposite. We were supposed to have townships all in the same district. So it just really seems strange that um, what we were experiencing then would have happened in following the Constitution. So it got me wondering why this would be. So you you went from wondering to doing, though. You decided to see whether you could do it yourself. I thought, well, maybe maybe there's some kind of law out there that... um, you know, requires it to be done this way or in following the laws that you have to end up drawing districts that results in this way in balancing the different rules. And so I thought, well, I'll just draw a map and see what happens. So I, you know, just printed off a map file from um, the Internet and put in some apportionment into the different counties and started just grouping them together to see if you would come up with the results you came up with. And what I was finding was that you could follow the Constitution and actually keep a lot more places whole than what they were keeping whole and keeping these townships and the cities together that um, the maps that had been drawn were splitting apart. So I um, thought, well, they just must not realize that this is possible. So I decided I would try and share all of the findings that I was making with the people who would be making the decision, and that's what led me to um, start speaking out at the hearings that they would hold for people to come and speak out about the um, district drawing process. Yeah, and this would be the state lawmakers in the General Assembly who had, who mm-hmm. had the first crack at drawing the maps under the, the current right. system. And so, Amanda, you didn't have any, like, super sophisticated whiz-bang software doing this. This was just your standard computer and some Excel spreadsheets, right? Yes. Yes. This wasn't, I didn't have any training. There's no handbook on how you do redistricting. There's no training on what you're supposed to do. It was something that an ordinary citizen could get involved in and 
figure out how to do just using, in my case, an Excel spreadsheet and some map pictures that were out there to just kind of track where different places were located. And using those, I was able to draw maps that proved that they weren't really following the Constitution. So you're at the uh, the public hearing with the, the members of the General Assembly. You've shown them a bunch of maps that keep municipalities and county lines whole, don't break them up, don't divide municipalities among multiple districts. What was their reaction? They seemed really interested, and it wasn't the whole General Assembly. The The part that I really focused in on was eventually the state districts, and that was um, the Legislative Reapportionment Commission, which is the leaders of the House and Senate in both parties, and then a fifth member who was appointed by the Supreme Court. So it was those five members in September of 2011 that I went to testify before. And, yes, after showing them my maps that I had drawn that complied with the Constitution with all the different rules that they need to keep with, they seemed impressed by the amount of detail I had showed them and promised uh, myself along with all the others who were testifying that they would be considering all this wonderful feedback they'd received before they went out and drew the maps themselves for the 2012 election year. Right. So fast forward a bit, then the maps actually come out and what are they like Mm -hmm. and what's your reaction? They didn't look like they listened to anything that was said. They didn't look really any different than what had been drawn before, which had me wondering, you know, what what more can me as an ordinary citizen do here? I mean, I've spoken out to the people making the decision, and they appeared to be ignoring what I was saying and what others who had testified was saying about the way these districts were drawn, which led me back to the Constitution again to see what other avenues were open to me, and that's when I saw about making an appeal that those citizens who were not satisfied with the way the districts were drawn could appeal to the state Supreme Court. And so even though I'm not a lawyer at all and have no legal training, I thought, well, if this is what, you know, an ordinary citizen could do, then I think surely an ordinary citizen could go out and, you know, challenge them before the Supreme Court and see if the Supreme Court would listen to the citizen's voice. And just uh, so um, folks listening to the podcast are clear, though a lot of people have subsequently criticized both the state legislative and congressional maps that emerged from this process in 2011 as tilting in a very partisan way to the Republicans. That wasn't really your issue. You're a registered Republican. You were just concerned about um, obedience to the state constitution, right? Yes. I felt like they were not complying with what the state constitution said that they were supposed to be doing, and instead they were perhaps looking at other things, but they weren't following the constitution, particularly in its requirements that no municipalities or counties be divided when they're forming the Senate and House districts. Okay, you didn't just stay frustrated, uh, armed with what legal knowledge you could get from uh, combing Google and the Internet. Um, You decided to take action. So what action did you take? So I tried, um, because I didn't really know what I was doing, I was trying to find other people who would maybe be willing to help as I went to make an appeal and eventually got in contact with the League of Women Voters who knew of a law firm they thought that might be interested in helping with this case and that was the Public Interest Law Center in Philadelphia. 
and they were willing to work with me on this in a very, very short amount of time. And they also had another firm that they were able to have that would take the case pro bono, the Hogan Levels law firm there in Philadelphia. And together they were willing to represent me along with um, some others who had joined me in making my petition before the Supreme Court. So now it's Amanda versus Goliath. How did it go in court? So we were able to present our case first, and I thought it went really well. I felt like that the members of the Supreme Court, the justices, were uh, really listening to what we had to say, and I felt like that the lawyers were presenting a really clear case as to why this was clearly a constitutional violation. And then after considering the information that they had received for a couple days, the Supreme Court made the decision that the maps that had been drawn by the Legislative Reapportionment Commission were in fact contrary to law. So they, they, the court agreed with you? Yes, the court agreed with me. Okay, so uh, I'd love to be able to tell folks that we just cue in the music, sunset, happy ending, you stride off into history, but it didn't quite work out that way, did it? No. So they didn't specifically say, oh, just use these wonderful maps that were created uh, <laughs> to show how, how it was supposed to work. They they left it up to the Legislative Reapportionment Commission on how they would go about and fix the issues that had been identified and in doing so, it didn't seem like we were making a whole lot of headway because the process basically started all over again. And once again, there were public hearings and they were drawing maps and showing what they had done. And in doing that, we were still seeing that they were splitting all sorts of places throughout the state and not really truly complying with what the Constitution says. And so we went back again and challenged it yet again, except this time, even though over 7 million residents of Pennsylvania were adversely impacted from the resulting maps, that the state Supreme Court decided to allow these maps to stand and become law. Uh, still, you would say, wouldn't you, that the, the second map, the map that was produced by your first victory in court, is somewhat better than the original? Yeah, the first the first maps, I would say, adversely impacted around 9 million of the 12 million residents of Pennsylvania. So the second maps kind of fixed things for about 2 million of the residents, but still left over half the population adversely impacted. So there was some marginal improvement, but it was definitely marginal. Right. Well, for those of us who've been following and covering Harrisburg for 40 years, even marginal improvement is something to celebrate. So did that experience leave you sour and cynical and done with politics? No, no. I, I, it left me excited to continue engage and find other ways to continue to make a difference. And just seeing how, you know, one person noticing something and learning about it and speaking up about it and, and being persistent in that can really make a huge impact even on a state level issue. So nowadays you're a Lehigh County Commissioner, um, which is a part-time job, and are you still teaching piano? Yes, I am. Okay, so you're doing a lot at once. Um, Is there anything about you in particular that you think made you more 
qualified than the average citizen to do the work you did? Or do you think anybody with determination could have done it? I don't think it really requires any special training, if you will. I think that this is something that anyone can do. I think that each person brings their own experiences that they have um, to whatever they do. And for me, it was a love of puzzles that I learned from my grandfather, as well as um, what he did in teaching me about research as a genealogist. And so my love of puzzles and my love of research really helped me to understand this particular puzzle of redistricting and my persistence helped me stick with it to speak up and make a difference. I think that, you know, everyone has their own experiences that they can bring to something that might seem totally unrelated, like puzzles and politics don't really seem to go together. And yet, my experience connected those two things. So I think each person can find a connection and find a way to make a difference. Amanda Holt, thanks so much for spending some time with us here at 20 by 70. You're welcome. That again is Amanda Holt, and she is as inspiring a story of the power of one as you'll ever hear. Next up, Ben Geffen, staff attorney for the Public Interest Law Center, which is seeking to overturn the gerrymander that brought us the 7th District and other grotesque forms. Through the front door, near closing just before. Clerk didn't give up cash, so we took her to the First, though, a brief word about Young Involved Philadelphia, the Committee of 70's partner in the 20 by 70 podcast. Young Involved Philadelphia builds relationships and increases civic engagement to empower and connect young Philadelphians. Its hashtag Why I Love Philly initiative seeks to foster positivity, passion, and pride in our city. Young, involved Philadelphia, doing work in the civic space. Now we're back at the Wexler studio at Kelly Writer's house on the Penn campus. I'm joined by David Thorberg, CEO of the Committee of 70, and Ben Geffen, a staff attorney with the Public Interest Law Center. I'll turn it over to them to talk about the challenge to the congressional map. Thank you, Chris. Uh, ben, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Uh, I should note for our listeners that Ben and the Law Center uh, have been very helpful to the Committee of 70 and Philly 3.0 and others in, uh, in a whole separate matter challenging the law around the city commissioners here in Philadelphia. So you guys do great work. Thank you. So do you. And uh, <laughs> it's a mutual admiration society. And, you know, you have been, uh, the Public Interest Law Center has been instrumental in, in the gerrymandering, the fight against gerrymandering the last couple cycles. We heard from Amanda Holt about how instrumental you and uh, Michael Churchill at the Law Center were uh, in her lawsuit. And now on June 15th, you, the Law Center, filed on behalf of the League of Women Voters uh, a lawsuit in state court challenging the Commonwealth's congressional district. So let's, let's put on the table, tell, tell us uh, what that lawsuit was all about and where it comes from and what you hope to achieve. So this is a lawsuit about partisan gerrymandering of Pennsylvania's congressional districts. Pennsylvania has 18 seats in the U.S. House, and the districts were drawn in a way to uh, maximize the partisan advantage of the party that controlled the process back in 2011, the Republican Party. Even though Pennsylvania is quite closely divided between Democrats and Republicans, our 18 seats don't play out that way. You might expect that given how 
tight the state is between Democrats and Republicans, you'd end up with nine or 10 or eight of the seats going to one party and the remainder going to the other. But the map was drawn in such a way that 13 out of the 18 seats are Republican seats. Uh, and this is impervious to changes in vote turnout statewide. So even when the Democrats have a strong year, like in 2012, or when the Republicans have a strong year, like in 2016, the map always ends up generating a 13 Republican to five Democratic delegation to the U.S. House. Now, just to interject, some folks uh, observe or point out or try to play wise guy that in the, the problem really is that so many Democrats are packed into the city of Philadelphia, and that makes it virtually impossible to, to balance out the delegation. How, how do you respond to that? How does the suit respond to that? That's an argument that's heard a lot, but it, it doesn't withstand scrutiny. And I want to emphasize that this is a nonpartisan suit. We're a nonpartisan organization. Were the shoe on the other foot, we would be bringing this case challenging a, a Democratic gerrymander. But that's not what's happened in Pennsylvania. A, uh, a member of the state legislature recently put a map up on his website showing how you could draw Pennsylvania such that you have 13 Democratic seats and five Republican seats. So if you're willing to uh, surgically carve up the state to meet partisan ends, uh, you could make it 13 to 5 Democratic just as easily as you could 13 to 5 Republican. We wouldn't like that plan any more than we like the, uh, the actual plan because we don't think that's the right motivation for, for how you should draw districts. But there's no inherent Republican majority in Pennsylvania. So in the lawsuit and the research that lies behind it, what, what do you think is makes the killer point that, in fact, this uneven distribution is a, the product of partisan manipulation? The last few years, there's been a whole flurry of activity by political scientists and statisticians trying to craft a test that would work in all states and all circumstances to show when a redistricting plan goes too far in uh, tilting a state toward one party or the other. We're lucky in Pennsylvania, in a sense, that we don't have to pick any one of those statistical measures because by just about any of those measures, our congressional plan is either the starkest partisan gerrymander in the country or one of about the top three. So um, by just about any measure, and I'm happy to talk in more detail about some of those measures, Pennsylvania has an off-the-charts partisan gerrymander. Yeah. We try to leave our listeners with a working knowledge, a conversational knowledge uh, of the topics without venturing too far into nerddom, much as we'd like to. But I, I, th I think your lawsuit in the case that you made benefited from uh, a, a case that was filed in federal suit in Wisconsin that, that did unearth some metrics that seem to be useful in describing this. So can you talk a little bit about sure. those? So the Wisconsin case, Whitford versus Gill, has been a very interesting case because it was the first case claiming partisan gerrymander that actually went to a trial in decades. And the plaintiffs won that case. It was a challenge to uh, not the congressional plan, but the state legislative map for Wisconsin. And the plaintiffs in that case made allegations quite similar to what we're alleging here, that the map was drawn with the intent and the effect of benefiting one party by penalizing the other party. One of the measures that the Wisconsin plaintiffs used that's gotten a lot of attention has been something called the efficiency gap. And that's a measure that looks at how many votes are wasted for each party. So in, in Pennsylvania, for example, in the second congressional district, which is Congressman Evans's district currently, it has a very high concentration of Democrats. And it consistently returns one of the highest margins across the country, doesn't it? That's right. And so typically some, something in the ballpark of 90% of the votes in the second district are for the Democrat. 
And so the way you'd look at that with the efficiency gap is you'd say that the Democrats needed 50% plus one to win the seat. Everything over and above that was a wasted vote. So 40% of the votes were wasted votes for the Democrats. On the other hand, the Republicans didn't win, so all of their votes were wasted. But that's only about 10% of the total votes. Right. So you have 40% of the votes wasted on the Democratic side and 10% on the Republican side. So what lies behind that is essentially the notion that districts should be competitive. Right. It should be balanced that either party should have a, a fighting chance heading into an election and, and that if they're wasting too many votes, that suggests that metric has swung uh, too far one side or the other. Exactly. So you'd expect a fair map to have a lot of seats that were competitive and some won by one party and others by the other. You'd expect there to be a lot of seats that one party wins 52 to 48 and then the next district over the other party wins 53 to 47 and that kind of thing. And, and if you if you really had a fair map with outcomes like that, the number of wasted votes would, first of all, be small. And second of all, it'd be about the same on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Let me jump back to a little bit of legal strategy. So you chose to file this in state court, not in federal court. Why was that? Sure. So we filed in state court because the Pennsylvania Constitution is more protective of rights that matter in the redistricting context than the U.S. Constitution. I was part of in the Public Interest Law Center and, and our, our co-counsel in the, in the, I should mention, our co-counsel in the redistricting case is the firm Arnold and Porter K. Scholler. And the Public Interest Law Center and that firm also worked together a few years ago on the Applewhite lawsuit, our successful challenge to the voter ID law in Pennsylvania. Um, and in I that, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in that case, we, we also pursued claims in state court alleging violations of the Pennsylvania Constitution. And even though uh, a couple of years earlier, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled against the plaintiffs in a voter ID challenge out of Indiana under the federal constitution, we won that case. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court identified stronger protections of the right to vote in the Pennsylvania constitution than can be found in the federal constitution. Hmm. Similarly, in this case, some of our claims arise under the Pennsylvania Constitution's uh, protections for freedom of association and freedom of expression. Pennsylvania Supreme Court has held that, that those parts of our state constitution go further in protecting rights than the First Amendment of the federal constitution does. Interesting. So, Ben, what happens if you win? We're asking the court to hold that the current congressional plan for Pennsylvania, for our U.S. House districts, violates the Pennsylvania Constitution because it is penalizes people for their partisan associations and, and voting. And what we're asking the court to do is to knock out the current map and either to direct the legislature to draw a new map that doesn't violate these provisions, or in some states, courts have actually drawn their own map and ordered that to be implemented. So there are different ways the relief could play out. So, right. Uh, one one final question, just to kind of put a cap on things. Uh, you We mentioned earlier the Wisconsin suit in federal court, and the Supreme Court, I think just about a week ago, agreed to hear that appeal. So talk a little bit about the potential impact of that decision and how your legal action might sync up with that and any prognostication on where you think that's headed in the Supreme Court. We're optimistic that the Supreme Court in the Wisconsin case will recognize at last that there is a point at which partisan gerrymandering goes too far and crosses a line into unconstitutional territory. There are similar lawsuits pending in a couple other states. In North Carolina, both the League of Women Voters in North Carolina and Common Cause are pursuing claims in federal court about the congressional plan in North Carolina, that it is a partisan gerrymander to 
punish Democrats. In Maryland, there's a similar lawsuit proceeding in federal court that challenges the plan as having been drawn to penalize Republicans. So um, both parties are alleged to have violated these constitutional norms around the country. And in, in, in terms of, you know, what, it, what does it mean specifically for our case in Pennsylvania? Obviously, if the Supreme Court affirms the decision in Wisconsin and agrees with the lower court that the plan was an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander, that's good news for us here in Pennsylvania because our constitutional protections go even further. Right. Um, and even if the Supreme Court rules against the plaintiffs and says that, well, the U.S. Constitution doesn't provide a remedy for partisan gerrymandering, that doesn't mean that the Pennsylvania case has to come out the same way. Right. Once again, our, our Constitution, we believe, is more protective of rights in this context. It's the federal system in action. <laughs> That's right. And, and just to close with this point, uh, I think the significance of your lawsuit and the federal lawsuit is that historically, right, the, the courts have been quite reluctant to weigh in on partisan gerrymandering. They've weighed in on racial gerrymandering or other kinds of things. But this is really hugely significant that, you know, here in Pennsylvania and in the Supreme Court, the United States, that the courts are having to, to deal with these issues. Now's the time for the courts to finally say enough is enough. This is a process that has gotten starker and more outrageous every decade. Partly technology has enabled both parties to draw the maps with ever greater precision. They now have access to huge databases with all sorts of information they can use to predict voters' behavior and to draw the, the lines with surgical precision. So it's a problem that, that gets worse every decade, and we believe that now it's gotten so bad that there's really nothing for it but for the courts to step in. Great. Thanks, Ben Geffen, staff attorney for the Public Interest Law Center. Thanks for being with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So, David, it sure sounds like uh, Ben Geffen and the Public Interest Law Center have been marshalling a lot of evidence, some of it clear-cut, some of it a little more uh, scientific. Yeah, they're onto something. Uh, I think, as we had noted before, there is a awareness and outrage about this issue like I've never seen. I don't know if you've ever seen. I think for good reason. You know, I, I think there's a, a, a lot of fine-grained concern about how this process has been co-opted, you know, to our detriment. Right. I, I'll never forget the uh, very cold night, I think it was, in January when I showed up at the uh, – Methodist Church near City Hall in Philadelphia for one of Fair District's workshops on gerrymandering, expecting, you know, 30 nerdy, like-minded souls to show up, and there were 700, maybe 800 people there. Yeah. Absolutely, literally packed to the rafters in the church. Well, this is this is fed by, you know, my ambient theory is that this is an expression of people's frustration with the system as it is, that uh, the sort of rage against the machine that... Bernie Sanders voters and Donald Trump voters both exhibited. This is the, the, a likely target of their of their outrage. Right. Well, I mean, it comes down to um, a realization that, in a sense, the system is rigged. Maybe yeah. not precisely in the way the person who famously yeah. <laughs> claimed that during last year's election. Yeah. You know, it was interesting though, having just listened to Amanda Holt and then Ben Geffen of the Public Interest Law Center. Um, they sort of hit very different chords, put stress on different syllables yeah. you know, in, in this sense. Amanda Holt 
is just simply quietly but incensed, make no mistake about it, incensed that um, the map makers in Pennsylvania last time around ignored what she considers the Constitution's clear directive not to split up municipalities yeah. and, if possible, not counties either. Yeah. Uh, ben Geffen made a much bigger point of the way these maps damage competitiveness and sort of discourage moderate candidates and moderate voters. Yeah. There's much not to like about gerrymandering. Uh, right. I think that's clear. You know, some of the things that make me crazy are, and Ben kind of mentioned this, is the, the political laser surgery techniques that are now used that literally will draw a line to exclude a political contributor or to include a, a business uh, that has been favorable to a particular candidate. I think it's just offensive. So it's not just the shape of the maps in general, you know, kind of bird's eye view, but it's literally the micro incisions that uh, I think are problematic. And then another thing is, and, and this doesn't get a lot of attention, but I think the districts, the way they're drawn makes it very difficult to govern. I don't know how Pat Meehan, who represents the, the Donald kicking goofy mm-hmm. district, the really seventh, yeah. Yeah, can even hope to even as an honorable public servant, try to represent the fragmented interests of this this nonsensical district. So, as I said, there's not there's much not to like about what's happened here. I also think, you know, as somebody who is an editorial writer and columnist for newspapers for many years, would sort of, uh, you know, pull myself up to my full height and get my most stentorian voice going and lecture people on their solemn duty to vote next Tuesday. Well, you know, you usually rely on stories like Florida in 2000 or in New Jersey, the the Kane, um florio race that was decided by a handful of votes. But the fact of the matter is it's becoming true for far too many citizens. That your vote doesn't count. In a congressional race, <laughs> your vote just doesn't yeah. matter. If you're Republican in Philadelphia, your vote just doesn't yeah. matter. If you're a Democrat in some of these districts in the middle of the state, like yeah. the 12th, uh, you know. Well, and in another part of our ongoing crusade at Committee 70, we really look to find ways to to bring people out to the polls, particularly young voters. And with that as an imperative, against the backdrop, the, the, the kind of um, um, realistic but sobering backdrop that you just mentioned, it, it makes it pretty tough because it's pretty easy to come back and say, yeah, all this stuff about come out to vote and it makes a difference and so forth. Yeah, it doesn't make any difference. Well, you know, that would be a terrible <laughs> note to end what turns out as a matter of timing to be the July 4th Independence Day version of uh, Committee of 70. So I'd like to sort of end by going back to the both the words and the example of Amanda Hall. There you go. Because um, she saw something was wrong and very quietly in her own way, she was absolutely determined not to let it stand, and she's made a huge difference. And then she hung in there. I mean, I think one of the most remarkable aspects of the story she just told us, after being treated the way she was by members of the General Assembly and then getting that ultimate disappointment of the second map being approved by the Supreme Court, she didn't go away mad. She yeah. didn't go away cynical. She didn't roll her eyes and do what, you know, in these parts we call the Philly shrug. She went back to work. She created her website, kept working, and then decided to run for office. That's yeah. just remarkable. This and it's is wonderful. She is uh, a kind of the best example of do-it-yourself democracy I've ever seen. That Her story about how she learned what it takes to get a case in front of the Supreme Court, talking to the people 
of the staff of the Supreme Court and having him answer questions and going to the website and figuring out this and the other day. She just has this insatiable... So in one piece of that story, just quickly, David, that I'm not sure came out clearly uh, in, in her recounting of it this time, is that she was working on like a three-week time frame. Yeah. That's how long she had to pull this suit together. That's another remarkable part of the story. Most people were just throwing out their hands and said, there's nothing I can do, but yeah. not Amanda Holt. Yeah. So you're right. On, on the weekend of July 4th, there's nothing better that we uh, can do than to learn and pay heed to the example of Amanda Holt. So. Yeah. Okay, that's a better note, David. <laughs> Thank you, David Thorne. So that's it. We can call it the gerrymandering episode of 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more out of city and state government. Most likely, it's the first of what will become many episodes touching on gerrymandering, that bug in the operating system of democracy. We thank our guests, the inspiring Amanda Holt and the very sharp Ben Geffen of the Public Interest Law Center. Also, our intrepid producer, Barbara Dundon, who ventured into many parts of the suburbs she'd never seen before just for this episode. And our engineers, Zach Cardner and Tyler Burke, manning the dials so ably in the Wexler studio at Kelly Ryder's house on the Penn campus. And as always, thanks to David Thornburg, 70s CEO and Philly's Civic Yoda. So until next time, remember these words to live, agitate, and mobilize by. Expect more Philadelphia.